What's going on, ladies? Welcome to the Biz Women Rock podcast. I'm your host, Katie Kremitzos, and I am bringing you tremendous stories from business women all over the world in all sorts of different industries so they can talk about their business journey so yours can be inspired by it. Before we get rolling, here's a little word from our awesome sponsor. I'm here with Niall Nickel, the founder of LinkedIn Focus, an amazing tool that helps you get really specific about the tools that you're going to use to leverage LinkedIn and to make it work for you. Niall, I got to ask for some of your secrets. What is one really great thing that businesswomen can do to leverage LinkedIn better than what they're doing now? Well, we all know the power of recommendations or endorsements, correct? Yes. So... Um, I find that a lot of people have no recommendations and very few, if any, endorsements. You need both of those. But let me tell you what you want to do to get the right recommendations. I know if I'm asked for a recommendation, Katie, you're probably the same way. We're stuck automatically saying, okay, I know this person. What do I want to say? Right. How do I say it? Right, exactly. Well, guess what? Remember, I've talked about how keywords are so valuable on LinkedIn and how you want to be known for what you want to be known for and what you want to be found for. So consider writing the recommendation that you would like and sending it to your friend, your associate, whom you're asking to recommend you and say, this is what I was thinking. You could change it, use your own words, but if this is acceptable to you, um, you know, just go ahead and use this and, and post it up on my LinkedIn profile. Now, people are, one, more likely to do that. In fact, they're about four times more likely to leave you a recommendation like that. And secondly, is you get the recommendation that you want worded the way you want with the copy and with the keywords a really effective thing to do and i highly recommend you do that and i have to say as a receiver of anything like that it is tremendously helpful because we're all busy and so it's such a great way it's almost considerate somebody's really they're asking you for a favor and they're giving you every tool that you can use to possibly fulfill that favor so great great tool great tip nile thank you make sure you go to linkedinfocus.com forward slash BWR to get more great tips from Nile. When Renee Francis was having difficulty getting her daughter to sleep through the night in her own bedroom, she figured out a proven way to cure the issue. And after a while of sharing her tips with friends, uh, she got so much positive feedback that she decided that she would write her first book uh, called A Visit from the Goodnight Fairy. Since she's launched in October of 2014, she no doubt literally has been hustling it to get her books out to the market. And this interview is such a cool vantage point of a startup entrepreneur, a startup author's journey. So she talks about all the different things that she's done to kind of prep the book, to get it out there, to get it published, and all this stuff that she's been doing to literally peddle this book around not only her whole area, but um, outside of the country as well. So um, really cool conversation, just a really interesting lady. Um, And I just really enjoyed this vantage point of where she is as a startup author. So I know you're going to like it. Let's get rolling. 
What's going on, Renee? Thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So very excited to talk to you. Um, just in our little our little pre chat, we started going into some really cool stuff, and I automatically wanted to keep on asking you more and more stuff. So so we'll hit the record button and we'll go right into it. Um, you are the author of Goodnight Fairy Book, and um, you have three different books in your series that are out right now. Uh, that I just thought were really unique and um, and just very, I mean, beautiful. By the way, really beautiful. And Thank so you. I wanted to um, I wanted to see the business behind all of this, like you know, because I know that there are plenty of women who are thinking of writing a children's book, uh, mm-hmm. maybe thinking of you know maybe they're artistic and they want some sort of art book or anything like that. So I would just love to hear from you. Uh, and use this interview and conversation to really dig into how you are building this as a business from the ground up. So um, let's start with the interesting thing. What what exactly were you doing before you were an author and before you even got this idea? Uh, yes, well, um, my inspiration for my first book uh, came with my eldest daughter, um, who had recently moved into her big girl room as we were preparing for baby number two. And she seemed to be having a very, very hard time staying in that room by herself all night and was um, keeping us up three, five times a night. She would wake us up. And um, in my frustration and trying everything, um, my mom suggested uh, that she receive a visit from the Goodnight Fairy, and I wasn't sure where she was going with that, but uh, similar to the Tooth Fairy, the Goodnight Fairy brings a positive reward, any kind of uh, trinket or sticker book or something that the kid is interested in, and, um, and of course, they only receive the reward after they have achieved the milestone of sleeping through the night on their own, and I should have known that being a sick major in university, <laughs> and it was brilliant. It worked really well for Olivia, and uh, several of my friends seemed to be having a similar problem at the time with their toddlers, who were about the same age, and I told them what worked for me, and they tried it called me back, said it changed their lives. You know, I still have a friend who thanks me to this day. And um, so I decided to write a book. I'm an English teacher by uh, calling, but um, and I have written other things in the past, but this particular book was uh, propelling me forward. There was something about it that I knew was very good and I knew could be helpful and I knew... Um, it needed to be out there, so that's uh, that's how it started. And uh, and my second book was also inspired by my <laughs> Olivia, and the third book was actually inspired by my nephew who has a hard time winding down. Uh, so I decided to keep going forward with this uh, sleep issues series um, because I've never seen any books out there that are as practical. Um, with this particular issue, so um, so I thought I would fill that void. Well, and you you took a really unique approach to this because 
you know, a lot, I think a lot of people would assume like, okay, you found these really good techniques that work. Now you're going to create a nonfiction book that really tells the 10 steps that you need to, you know, ensure that your kid can now sleep alone in their bedroom and, and how you right. the process to do that. But that's not what you did. You decided to create a whole fiction world, a whole beautiful world with characters and all this sort of stuff. Um, talk a little bit about why why you did that and some of the processes that you took in the beginning to start making that world real. Well, I know that, um, like you said before, I I do have a bit of background in psychology, teaching, you know, as a mom, I know it appeals to kids. And I was looking for a book like this, and I couldn't find it. So I decided to um, create it. Uh, it. The idea of Good Night Fairy is similar to the idea of the Tooth Fairy of Santa Claus, of, you know, those things that children love, uh, you know, they they hold them dear to their heart. And so I knew that there would be buy-in um, from, you know, from the children, but also is something that an adult can share with their kids. The illustrations are, you know, beautiful. Thank you um, for, you know, mentioning that. My um, mom's cousin is the illustrator for the book, and she just does a beautiful job. And um, I knew that she would do uh, a great job because she's an artist, and she's so full of love, and she celebrates every day. And that was the kind of energy that I wanted in the book. And um, from a business standpoint, I know when I purchase a picture book for my children, I buy the art, really. You, mm-hmm. you generally don't stand there and read the whole book and then decide, yes, this is the book I want. You see something, it's beautiful, you buy it, and then the book, you know, the, the words in the book, you know, kind of make or break it. But, um, yeah, that's that's the direction that I... Uh, I don't know that it was necessarily a conscious uh, decision. Like, I wasn't cognizant of all of that, all of those details as I was going through the process. But, um, you know, stepping back and looking at it, that's exactly what you need for a a character to be believable, for, you know, the art to be engaging, for the story to be um, entertaining, and the message behind the story to be, for me, I wanted it to be practical. I wanted it to be um, based in uh, something that is helpful, which is... um, reinforcement, positive reinforcement is one of the most powerful tools that you can use with toddlers. And so um, for the first book, A Visit from the Goodnight Fairy, um, I knew that it would be helpful. And um, and that would, once the word got out, that would help sell the series. Mm. So what was your process like once you were actually writing the book and sort of putting all these pieces together? What was your process to actually find a publisher? Why did you decide to go with like a traditional publisher versus doing it on your own? Walk us through a few of those steps. Oh, well, actually, I did do this one on my own. And um, I have se- I had sent the manuscript out um, to traditional publishers, um, Harmony House, or so- sorry, Holiday House, um, Scholastic, all the big ones. Um, and it takes anywhere from, you know, three weeks to six months, if you even hear back from them. Um, And I, again, like I said, was so motivated to get this out there that I decided to go with, you know, what they call a vanity press. 
um, and uh, and put it out there myself. I researched a few different companies. Um, I decided to go with Friesen Press because um, I knew that they would uh, help me with the distribution of it. Um, uh, I wanted to make sure that it was available on Amazon.com and .ca. I wanted to make sure that it was in Ingram so that bookstores could order it themselves when it got big enough. And um, and Freeze Press was able to uh, do that for me. Um, the promotional copies that I made originally to sell, mm-hmm. um, they uh, that company wouldn't have been able to to help me with that worldwide distribution pop- capability. I guess. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Uh, you know, you mentioned bookstores in there. What mm-hmm. what kind of stuff have you done since you've launched all this stuff? And, and you know, this is fairly recent. You really did did this and launched this just about you know fall of 2014. Yeah. What kind of things have you been doing to actually get it out there and get it out in more places? Like, are you talking to? Uh, do you talk to libraries? Do you talk to bookstores? Like, what's your process on on seeing how you can get into more places? Well, my first, um, I guess, event that I did um, was, uh, well, the first several events that I did were over the summer, and there were a lot of children's festivals, family kinds of festivals, and fairs, carnivals, that sort of thing. And I've, I have friends who are artists and, um, and authors, and I've seen them sell their books and their art um, in, at similar venues. So I, I did what I needed to do to contact the, um, you know, the people in charge of these different fairs and see if I could set up a table, and that really broke the ice for me. Um, so I spent most of my summer outside with the book, um, and then uh, I started getting into readings at libraries, like you um, mentioned. Um, I was uh, in, let's see, the first library was here in London, Ontario, and um, I did a small reading for, or I did a reading for a, a, not a small group, but, you know, about a dozen kids. Um, and they actually had a bedtime theme going on. They were calling it a pajama rama, oh, and it. so it was. Yeah, it was a perfect tie-in for what they were already going to be doing. So when I mentioned my book to them, they were very gracious and had me there. Um, I also presented my book at the London Children's Museum. Um, I've been in touch now with um, the Ontario Earlier Centers, and they uh, recently had me share my book with their, their audiences at the playgroups during Family Literacy uh, Week celebration. Um, I'm working currently this month uh, going to almost all of the Thames Valley District School Board's Parenting and Family Literacy Center's playgroups and sharing my book with those um, little ones and their uh, mommies. And so um, readings at uh, mommy groups, um, I've, been, I've traveled to um, Connecticut uh, and um, shared my book at the, at the New Haven Public Library there. I did some private mommy groups with uh, friends of mine um, and, uh, you know, just go to people's houses. And it's a little bit like those direct sales parties. Right. But if people are, you know, they have a group of mommies that they get together and they want to do something different, 
um, and entertain the kids. I will, you know, go read the book. We'll do a little craft together and, um, you know, and tie it all together. And I give them, you know, that creative portion, the literacy portion, the nighttime uh, tool for your toolbox portion. And, um, and it's really, a, you know, just a great, fun time for everybody, I think. And so you're really, I mean, you're really pounding the pavement to just get the word out there. Oh, yes. Yeah. And in addition to mommy groups, um, mu- children's museums, those kinds of things, um, I'm, I do readings also at um, the chapters in Indigo here in London, um, uh, each the chapters south and Indigo north. Um, I've been at, to the Barnes & Noble in Saginaw, Michigan, um, and uh, I just keep reminding them that I'm available, that I'm here, that my book is out there, that they can sell it. And um, uh, I try to keep making the rounds. Uh, uh, my publisher actually mentioned to me that it takes people sometimes uh, as many as nine exposures to seeing the book before they decide to actually buy it. Mm. So the I know that the more present I am, uh, the greater the likelihood that people will, you know, say, hey, maybe I do need this, or, you know, hey, uh, I'm so tired of being, I'm so tired. (laughs) So tired of being tired, right? (laughs) I'm tired of being tired. So, yeah, so maybe this book will help, and, uh, and, you know, word of mouth is is fantastic. I've had a lot of referrals. Um, I also do uh, events like trade shows and those kinds of events. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll I'll buy a table at like a craft, you know, uh, homemade craft sort of trade shows. And um, but I know that my target audience is really um, for my first book, anyways, moms with toddlers um, or, par- or parents, you know, with toddlers or grandparents, um, because I know that grandparents they are always looking to help their you know daughters and sons and in laws you know, get more sleep and, you know, they're always looking out for their grandkids. So I try not to forget that audience as well. Right. Um, when you're going and making all these appearances, it's sort of, um, I mean, it's definitely a PR move, which is very, very smart. It's like you getting your own branding out there and just like getting sure. appearances, making sure people know your brand, they know your book. But how are you actually doing the selling? Like, and I'm sure this is a different answer depending on the venue that you go to. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, what is what are those differences? Where can you d- directly sell and where can you not? And on those places that you can't, how do you walk that line of still wanting mm-hmm. to make sure the book is in everyone's face? Right. Well, and that's true because when people go to a library, they don't I mean, libraries, you borrow books. They're free, you know. And so um, I uh, I know that I'm not going to make a lot of sales when I read at a library or even a children's museum. And um, some of the playgroups, um, you know, people have stopped me and asked, where can I buy your book? And generally I have them in the trunk of my car. Um, <laughs> but uh, I also am, you know, entirely prepared to, you know, to direct them online, to direct them to other books, uh, other bookstores, other venues where the book can be found. Um, but, uh, yeah, I um, I find that the mommy groups uh, that are in someone's home uh, are, I have a high rate of, you know, sale, like almost 
100% of the mommies, 100% of the time, will buy the book after um, after a mommy group at somebody's home. Oh, wow, um, that's great. I know, it's 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 been very nice. Um, but uh, I, I have adjusted my expectations at, for example, some of the, you know, trade shows or events um, because not everybody's interested in, you know, buying a book that day. Maybe they're there for trinkets. Maybe, you know, they um, their toddler isn't, um, you know, isn't a terrible sleeper or maybe they don't have their second child, you know, and or maybe they just haven't hit, a, you know, a problem with sleep issues. So they might not be interested in a book on sleep. Um, but... Uh, it's. I am still learning, like, uh, to hone my efforts and, um, you know, focus on, you know, hitting hitting the mark with with my target audience. Right. What? Um, how, how are you reconciling? Like, okay, so right now your main product are these books. Is that mm-hmm. is that what you have for the future? Because I mean, you're literally going around and hustling one sale at a time, one sale at a time, which is amazing. And is that where you see as part of like kind of the major wheels of how your business model is getting fed? Or or do you have other maybe products that are are kind of going on in your mind or how Uh you would kind of build stuff out using this brand? Yes. Well, I am starting uh, to merchandise uh, with my book. I've um, I have some night lights because um, if you read the book, the goodnight fairy may um, come from out of a night light. Um, and so I have uh, created these night lights that look similar to the one in the book. Um, I've commissioned some uh, friends of mine who create um, little stuffed animals and um, asked them to design some characters who are in the book because, you know, Everybody loves a lovey, so um, you know kids. If they if they become fans of the book, they they would like you know to hold on to something besides just the pages of the book itself. So the merchandising is definitely um, a direction that I have begun taking um, this particular um, uh, business, and and then as I um, continue to uh, publish more and more books, um, the, the merchandise will continue to grow because I do have more characters. Um, I have more, um, more issues that I'll be, um, tackling. Um, the, the second book is called, uh, The Goodnight Fairy Helps Via Change Her Dream. And it's all about lucid dreaming. And so, um, I, I have started to work, although, um, that book is not yet published, um, and it's currently being illustrated, but uh, I've also started to work with the authors of A Field Guide to Lucid Dreaming, and they are working on um, the afterword for my second book. So in addition to a really adorable um, children's story that is written in verse and has a really soothing cadence that will, you know, and rhyme scheme that children love, um, after the story that I have written is finished, um, the parents can read to their children or by themselves the afterword that will actually ex- 
explain how to become lucid in your dreams. And so um, that book will also be extremely practical, and um, I'm interested, uh, you know, to to see how well-received it is, um, because kids are, uh, their minds are still very open to all different kinds of possibilities. And so even simply just suggesting the idea that um, lucidity is possible while you dream and the idea that you can change every detail of your dreams, um, that is, you know, something uh, that I'm really excited to help uh, propel people into exploring their own dream world because from a psychological point of view, um, it's uh, some people are starting to theorize that um, we can actually do some uh, almost psychotherapy for ourselves because we are so in touch with our unconscious mind in our dream world. And so the life that we live in our dreams, is, it's, um, it's something that we can um, explore our own inner selves um, by ourselves and find out answers um, to questions that we, that we have about the world. Um, a lot of scientists and great minds um, have come up with some of the greatest ideas in their own dream state. They, you know, they take their dreams seriously. They listen to, you know, the ideas they get when they're sleeping. They write down their notes. And, um, and some of the greatest ideas come from dreams. And so I would love to think that I could inspire a generation of children to become lucid, to pay more attention to their dreams, to listen to what's happening in their dream life, and then, you know, see what happens with, you know, these ideas. And not to mention, um, empower them to feel safe in their own dreams because uh, my daughter was trying to stay awake to avoid having scary dreams um, because she felt like they were happening to her. Um, But to empower a child to know that they don't have to be afraid of that, you know, thing that chases them in their dreams, that they can stop and turn and say, go away, and it will. Or they can say, I'm out of here, and then they can hop up and jump and fly they can walk through walls. They can swim with dolphins and breathe underwater in their dream life. Um, I think, you know, that's a really empowering idea um, that I, I'm happy to introduce to children and their parents alike. I just keep having like all these visions of cartoons going through my head about, (laughs) you know, like your main character going through and and just these beautiful little clips, very gorgeous, Uh artistic little clips of of uh, all these cartoon characters actually doing, you know, expanding on your book's uh, premises. So, right. um, Yeah. Yeah. I love that. All of my books are are based in real um, psychological, you know, theories and ideas and things that we know about the, you know, the way that the brain operates. And so that's right. important to me with the series that it's not just, you know, fluffy, you know, I read a lot of children's books and, um, and I think that, you know, many of them are, are very good. Um, but I think what sets my brand, my series apart is that, um, it's, it's, um, it is based in reality and it's based in science. And um, if there is an area that I am not expert in, I am actively seeking out experts in that area, learning from them, and then incorporating those real ideas into the book. So it's educational, it's entertaining, it's practical, and, you know, 
I think it's really exciting. <laughs> what um what sorts of things have you learned throughout this time? as a like that impact you as a business person because being an author um you know putting this book together getting it out there that's all that's all amazing but there's a whole business behind it so what's been let's start with one of the most challenging things that you've come across in the business of making all this happen mm-hmm. well um i guess one thing that um a lot of authors I think, uh, can be misled by the idea of, you know, Twilight, the Twilight series, for example. Right. So that author, you know, she had a dream, uh-huh, and um, and I guess that's where her series came from. She had a dream, she wrote it down, and it became the Twilight series. Now that thing has, that book has been, you know, translated into, what, 52 languages, it sold like a billion copies, and that was her first go at writing books. Right. So I think that a lot of authors think, oh, you know, this is a get, wit- a get rich quick scheme and um, I can just drop my book in Amazon and it's going to explode and I can sit back and collect royalties. Um, although that would be, you know, wonderful. Uh, it doesn't happen. <laughs> right. It's like winning the Powerball every time you play the lottery, you know. And so... Um, what I am coming to terms with is, you know, the idea that um, authorship is, you know, it's it's a very steep, um, you know, and treacherous journey um, to success. Um, something that I keep hearing from other authors is, you know, if you want to uh, make a, a lot, a little, if you want to make a little bit of money in publishing something, you know, start with a lot of money because it it does seem to be, you know, promotions and advertising and marketing and um, traveling and speaking and, um, you know, doing signings and and just hoping somebody stops and talks to you at a a book fair or at a bookstore or at a library. And, um, uh, you know, I I have found also... um, you know, sometimes taking, uh, um, how do I want to say it, the road less traveled with marketing and trying to find your target audience in, you know, uh, sort of different places um, is also quite helpful. I um, I dropped off some of the promotional copies of my book into a few dentist offices, um, knowing that sometimes you know, you're waiting for a while in the waiting room, mm-hmm. and uh, you pick up a book, you want to entertain your kid, um, get their mind off of having their teeth cleaned, it's a little bit scary, and so um, I actually have received several phone calls from people who have seen my book at their doctor's or dentist's office, and um, and luckily they're in town here, and, uh, and I've sold books that way. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been uh, not only... Um, you know, marketing in, in every which way that I can think of and trying to be creative about it. Um, but also it is nice to have the, um, the distribution um, and the online presence uh, through Friesen Press and um, having my book available. Um, and I do collect, you know, some royalty checks that way. Right, right. 
I just think that's awesome. A lot of really cool like guerrilla marketing tactics, you know, that you're that you're doing just to kind of try and figure it out and see what angles work and and how you can make that mm-hmm. happen. Um, well, and just not following every other you know person's ideas because you know what works for them might not work for me, and um, you know, and just trying to be a little bit creative about you know how people can find and get information about me and my book. Right. How many, how many books have you sold since you've, you've launched? Um, boy, since October, um, let's see. Uh, the last time I checked my numbers, um, I was uh, hovering just over 400, um, but that was a while ago, so I'm, uh, I'm going to say... Uh, I'm closer to, you know, 450, 475. But from what I understand, if you sell 500 books, um, that's quite a remarkable feat. Yeah. And that was that was from um, someone I was talking to at the Writers Union of Canada. Um, you know, so it. You know, I know that it's not um, an easy thing to do to sell books, um, especially if you just drop them and you know, hope that somebody finds them online. Um, but that's considering all of the um, outlets that I have, not only like my own personal inventory that I have, but also at bookstores, um, uh, at, uh, you know, different boutiques and little shops that I have around the cities um, that I travel to and um, uh, online as well because I, I can watch my numbers on amazon.com but i can't look at them on amazon.ca which um i think is something i need to continue to bug amazon about because i know the capability is there but they don't have that feature on on the uh author central Hmm. um so i don't know actually with a clear uh, that's why I was hesitating. I don't know my online sales here in Canada. I just don't have those numbers. Gotcha. Okay. Oh, that's really interesting. Um, well, Renee, I really just want to thank you so much for sharing the story. I love, I love hearing kind of in this snapshot moment of where you are, all the different things that you've done behind the scenes to really hustle your book out there and what it's taken to get it together. And I have no doubt in my mind that your brand will continue to build and grow and evolve and um, and you'll just keep pushing it forward. I mean, you got a lot of hustle in you, girl. So, um, so yeah, so thank you so much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for um, taking your time and speaking with me. And I really appreciate the opportunity. down my biggest takeaway from that conversation is what a hustler that woman is holy cow when she just started going on and on and on about all the places that she goes to and she does readings and she goes visits these places and wow I mean she is really and and it didn't seem to phase her like that's just what you do like you just go out and hustle and peddle your book which I really appreciated and had a lot of respect for I think sometimes we get so caught up in massive numbers and we have to get from here to here and let's just you know talk to this author who's had hundreds of thousands of books sold and we forget about what the moment really looks like what these moments really look like 
um, as every author is hustling it in the beginning. So um, except those minor cases that she was talking about, like the Twilight series. So uh, just really enjoyed this vantage point of what it's taken to get her book out thus far. And I'm sure you heard it too, but man, the potential that is just waiting for Renee is awesome. So Uh, I just hope that you enjoyed this conversation. Hope you got a lot of great stuff out of it. I will see you on the very next episode.